Hello, film fans. It's, well, it's not been a while. This episode's still coming out in the right week, just not on the right day. This is again Chatting Script with Luke Pickett. Uh, it's a very good job that I changed the name from Movie Mondays, because this is not coming out on a Monday. <coughs> well, I to you, it's been a hectic few weeks. Um, if you've heard me say on other pods, I was doing a tour, um, and I was pretty much ill for the entire thing. I'm still a bit ill. Um, long story short, I had the flu for like the first week, or at least I was coming down off the back of a, a flu, so I wasn't like contagious. And then I had about five days of feeling okay. And then I'm I'm pretty sure, like I haven't been able to speak to my GP because of the tour and their opening hours are terrible. But uh, sorry, NHS, but it's true. Um, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it's acute bronchitis and there is nothing cute about it. Um, so I've just been coughing and, and a bit fluey and stuff, but you know, we soldier on. Um, so this is the first opportunity I've had to actually record an episode of the pod, so it's definitely not going to come out when it usually does, but either way, it's Christmas time, uh, as you can tell by my Christmas jumper, which is, of course, Star Wars themed, because what else would it be? And we're going to do the best Christmas film of all the Christmas films, um, with the fantastic Bruce Willis, who very sadly recently was, um, I say recently, I think it was like a year ago, maybe, um, <clears throat> He was diagnosed with, is it aphasia? <coughs> Sorry, there's going to be a fair amount of coughing and all that shit happening uh, during this episode. But like I said, I'm ill. Um, so condolences to Bruce Willis and his family. Um, I hope there's, you know, there's some sort of treatment available. I don't know a lot about that illness, but I love Bruce Willis. And then, of course, um, the late, great Sir Alan Rickman is one of the most iconic villains in cinema in this role. He is Alan Rickman. Ho, ho, ho. One of my favorite deliveries ever of the line ho, ho, ho from Alan Rickman is in this. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's just get rocking and rolling with it, shall we? It's Die Hard, ladies and gentlemen, for those who haven't figured it out yet or aren't watching it and are only listening to it. Die Hard. Well, actually, it will be on the episode title, so you would know what you're about to listen to before you listen to it. So, well done, Luke, stating the obvious. No problem, everybody. Let's go. Fist on your toes. <laughs> I know, I know, it sounds... I just want to say, first off, right, let me get rid of that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> One of the things I love about Bruce Willis is, like, before this film, he was a comedy star. Um, I can't remember the name of that film that he was like most famous for, but it was a comedy movie. Sorry, there's going to be all sorts of bodily noises this episode. Sniffs, coughs, the occasional burp as in all of my episodes. I'll try and edit them out where I can, but they're probably just going to be there and you're just going to have to tolerate it because I'm fucking ill and I need to get this episode out this week. So I ain't going to have that much time to edit it down. Anyway, one of the things I love about Bruce Billis Bruce Billis, ladies and gentlemen, um, is his just completely like seen it all before, casual as you like delivery of pretty much everything. And that's not to say he's like one dimensional or anything, um, but he's very, especially in this movie, he's very just like chill. Like then his opening line, the guy next to him there has said, um, oh, you don't like flying, huh? Because he's literally like gripping the 
the seat arms and like white knuckle in it. And this guy goes, oh, you, you don't like flying. And he goes, oh, what gives you that idea? It's a sarcastic line, but he doesn't like oversell the sarcasm. He doesn't play up to it too much. He just kind of says it. And then just then when the guys like make fists with your toes to like get over air travel, he's like, make fists with your toes, huh? Just fucking not overselling it, not overly curious, just kind of just chatting, super naturalistic. And then before I forget as well, one of the things I really like about Bruce Willis is if you think when this film came out, 88, is in the 80s. And he essentially makes him one of the prominent act action stars of Hollywood, like definitely for this time, but you know, for all time kind of thing. And if you compare him to the other action stars around Hollywood at the same time, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, uh, the muscles from Brussels, Van Damme, uh, you know, all these people, um, they're all like jacked, gym freak, muscle bound, you know, just insane looking Adonis humans. And I'm not saying Bruce Willis isn't a good looking guy. But, and he, he is like, he's in shape, but he's in shape the way your average like bricklayer or scaffolder is in shape. Do you know what I mean? He's like a working white collar man. He's not like a gym rat. Like, yeah, he's, you know, he's got good shoulders on him and he's got biceps and he doesn't look frail by any means, but he's not like a sculpted, sculpted gym physique, which I think makes him way more relatable and way more believable as like this hard nosed, New York cop gone to, is he New York cop gone to LA or an LA cop gone to New York? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a New York cop gone to LA in this film. And uh, yeah, it just makes him way more believable because he's not this like absolute Adonis human. Anyway, I won't labor that point too much as I often tend to do. Back when you could smoke indoors, eh? <laughs> not that I'm a smoker, but crazy. Back when that was a thing. Alright, so we've just gone to the Yakutomi Plaza, which is where Bruce Willis's wife is, and this is the setting of the building that it's attacked. I'm just going to assume everybody has seen this film, so I'm not going to say spoiler alert, and I'm not going to over-explain too much. Because if you haven't seen Die Hard, stop this podcast right now, stop whatever plans you have for the rest of the day, and go watch fucking Die Hard. It's Christmas! Anyway, um, so we're in the Yakutomi Plaza, um, and it, it literally just dawned on me that in the opening scene of the film we establish Bruce Willis being a cop traveling to Los Angeles uh, and all that and now we're going to see his wife and everything uh, and it's not until a little while later we get our introduction of the the threat of the film the menace of the film so I guess maybe if you had no idea what this film was about where the hell would you have to have to have been if you didn't know what this film was about um, it would be quite like oh oh my god there's a terrorist group coming in and doing terrorist shit but um normally there's sort of like uh not a rule but like a kind of um a formula uh within which you operate when you when you write a screenplay is that you introduce the villain or the problem first i'm pretty sure i've mentioned this before but if you think about jaws the opening scene there's two drunk teens messing about teens young adults whatever messing about on the beach one of them goes for a dip gets eaten by the shark so straight away well ah we're alert to the danger and then we introduce Roy Schneider's character and everybody and the you know all that lot who 
who go out hunting the shark. Uh, Jurassic Park, the opening scene. Uh, oh, these are both Spielberg examples. <laughs> but the opening scene, Velociraptor eats a guy. Then we get introduced to Alan and everybody else. Uh, what are some more examples? Um, uh, well, it's it's the common theme anyway. I can't think of any more examples, but trust me, they're all they're all over Hollywood. You tend to start with the villain or the problem and then go in. Um, and this doesn't. Um, and I think the reason that you do that, not what this film does, what most of the films do, is because you're you're engaging the audience straight away with a like, oh, hmm. And there's that expression as well. Um, uh, the hero is only as good as the villain. So if you establish how awful the villain is early on, then you've your audience is already like subconsciously backing the hero because they know what tyranny is around the corner maybe they don't and maybe that was horseshit but it's my podcast and i'll horseshit all i want this is a nice little one hiding holly's face so far oh there she is putting up with the office sleaze don't be an office sleaze lads don't be an office sleaze no one likes it but straight away, look at this uh, establishing character and everything. She's she's just been chatted up by the office sleaze. She's turned him down for family reasons. She said it's Christmas Eve, you know, blah, 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 all the bells and whistles that go with that. She's calling her children. We're looking at some pictures now of her family and her children. Note that John McClane isn't in any of them, which establishes their rocky relationship standing, um, which, you know, gets more fleshed out as we go on. So straight away we're establishing like who she is, what her priorities are, um, you know, that she's a good mother, all these kind of things. So we're, we're able to then empathize with uh, with her as a character, which is important because she ends up being, you know, a victim to the, the terrorist organization. And look, Christmas stuff, because it's a Christmas film. The oh, there's John McClane. And there, the kid asked, is daddy coming home with you? And she, and she said... Um, We'll see what Santa and Mummy can do, okay? With a sort of almost a pained look in her eyes, but the tone of her voice was positive because, you know, she wants to comfort her child, essentially. Um, but yeah, so that little pained expression in, your, in her eyes straight away, you're like, mm, okay, maybe, maybe something's rotten in Denmark. Hopefully this isn't messing up the view too much, but I couldn't have it right there. Just did my nutting. Yeah, and she slams down the picture, so... See, and I, I won't carry on playing it just now because it might get flagged for the music, but he's playing the Run DMC Christmas song in the limo because this is a Christmas film. I know Bruce Willis has gone on record and said Die Hard is not a Christmas film. It's a Christmas film. He's listening to Run DMC's Christmas music. It's Christmas time. The whole plot is him saving his family for Christmas so he can spend time with his family during Christmas. It's a Christmas film. How, how, how. Look at this shot. Let me pause it now just in case the music. But look at this shot. Look at this stunning. Like, I can't remember specifically this if this film is like, you know, really, really up there in terms of like its cinematography and stuff. Maybe not in the same way something like the latest Blade Runner or anything by Denis Villeneuve however you say his name, sorry Dennis, um, yeah, but like, look at that shot, look at that shot, I love, by the way, I love 80s action movies, they're so good, 
like 70s and 80s stuff, you know, like the Lethal Weapon movies. I know Mel Gibson's a bit problematic, but like the Lethal Weapon movies, if you put that to the side, amazing. Um, yeah, I'm, I grew up watching them. Like my parents were into them. So I grew up watching a lot of like these old school action movies and they're fantastic. That was a really lovely tender moment then. Like look at the expression on her face as she sees John. Look, look at him. He's like, ah, that's the woman I married. And she's like, you came for Christmas. <laughs> very nice, very tender. And the music um, sort of twinkles in as well. Lovely. Ah, uh, see, so now we get our first um, glimpse of the villains, right? Alan Rickman. And... I'm going to work on this throughout, throughout the whole podcast, right? I've never given a, an Alan Rickman impression a go, but my name is Alan Rickman. It's not very good. We'll work on it. Maybe I'll watch the Harry Potters and uh, get more familiar with him. Anyway, uh, so we've had that nice, you know, we've introduced John McClane. We've introduced Holly. Uh, then we've had their reunion and it's all very sweet and tender you know, establishing the Nakatomi Plaza and that he's a hard-nosed cop, etc., etc. So all that sort of groundwork <coughs> for the who's who on the, like, good team. Team Christmas is all done. Um, now we get our first glimpse at the villains, and it's it's a truck that looks very ominous, silhouetted by the setting sun going down there. So you could interpret the setting sun as light leaving and darkness, you know, foreboding or darkness entering. Exit light Enter night For all my Metallica fans out there I just butchered Enter Sandman for you You're welcome It's Christmas Don't say I don't do anything for you uh, But yeah, this truck silhouetted like that And then the music got very dark and ominous Can I play it? So that's the first un Oh, and a little product placement of the McDonald's M Wow, that hasn't changed since the 80s Jesus Uh yeah, so that so so you know straight away based on that music that we're about to meet the bad guys. I had to take off that Christmas jumper. Yeah, it was just roasting me. I think the heating's on like max. Uh, even though I was wearing shorts, I'm like, I'm sweating, and no one wants a sweaty podcast host. So there we go. Everywhere they go, they're hounded by these like happy couples, and like when he was at the airport, that woman jumped into a fella's arms, and someone's just bundled in there and yeah I guess just reinforcing their uh, schism tool reference I've just realised that John McClane is now in let's get a better there we go he's now in the iconic outfit which he will remain in for the rest of the film the vest and no shoes and all that look at them as soon as alright I love like when a film sets, sets up the villain who like really knows or the villains that really know what they're doing, right? So those the two walk into the lobby. They're chatting just like basketball stuff to a, basically like a cover of Innocence so the security guard isn't like, who are these shifty guys coming in? They're just being sort of boisterous lads, really. And then gets shot. The guy jumps over the counter, starts doing his tech stuff. And then go the other guy, the guy with long blonde hair goes around the corner Throws a little, uh, or rolls a little flashbang, blinds the other security guard, bang, 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 he's done. This truck backs up, 
as soon as the door opens, all these guys pour out. They're just efficient, efficient, doing their stuff. It's very, very good. Um, also, I wanted to say as well, but probably about this film, <clears throat> with the whole it being a skyscraper, you know, the Nakatomi Plaza, this film has influenced so many films within the action genre in that format, having the skyscraper. Like, I haven't seen the Dwayne Johnson movie Skyscraper, but I'm pretty sure that is just basically Die Hard with Jane, Dwayne Johnson. Jane Donson. Um, and you've also got Dread, the Carl Urban one that came out in the 2010s. I want to say maybe 2013, something like that. That's that's pretty good, as Dread movies go. Uh, the Raid, the first one, um, where they literally raid a um, like a tower block. Um, you know, it's, that's probably the more different of the examples I've given, but it's still undoubtedly influenced by this movie. What a pinnacle of cinema. Or maybe a cornerstone. And there is Alan Rickman. I love this as well. So you've got the villain doing his stuff and he's just humming Christmas music to himself, which says two things. One, it makes him look a bit sinister. You know, because he's, they're doing diabolical shit and he's just in a happy mood about it all. Uh, but then also it shows, like, he's so in his element. He really knows what he's doing. He can do this stuff in his sleep, probably. That's a great shot. He was just stood there sort of double-checking all the coast was clear. Now he's turned around, walking down the hallway, sinister music playing. Just a nice shot. He's counting in German. Shows us that these guys are foreign. What I love about this as well is they've all there's pace to everything that they're doing. No one's dragging their feet. No one's looking lost. Everyone's just like, we've got a job to do. Let's do it. Like they're like tunnel visioned in on it, and it just gives it that like they're a well oiled machine kind of thing. You know, they're all just like getting it done. There's a lot of this film is really really well written. Like if you didn't know, <laughs> but just then like you know they they're talking on the phone. So there's been established early on uh, between them two that the limo driver Argyle and John McClane this is, that um, he can call him and he'll wait down in the garage to see, you know, if he needs him to take him to a hotel or whatever. Um, so we know that that's set up as a kind of safety net. And then these guys come in and they cut the terrorists, they come in and they cut the phone lines while John McClane's on the phone to Argyle. And then instead of... So then as an audience member, you might be like, oh, well, why doesn't he try and call John McClane back? You know, you sort of ask questions and rationalize logically, what would you do? And I think the sign of a, a well-written script is one that addresses those natural instincts of a, an audience watching it going, well, well, that's dumb. You you know, like it's like um, in Hollywood, uh, sorry, in horror movies, it's like, what? why would you go up into the attic where, you know, the it looks like the demon lives or whatever, you know? Why would you split up as a as a group? It doesn't make any sense. You'd stick together. So um, a, a well-written script that addresses those points, then when Argyle gets cut off from Thingy, inst instead of using really overt dialogue to address it, like, oh, I'm not going to bother calling him back. He can call me back and put down the phone. He says, in a way that completely suits his character, he goes, you know the number, use it. So that is him going, ah, he can call me back. But obviously John McClane can't because the phone lines have been cut. So it's just nice little bits there. It might be about to address this, but I've just... So Alan 
Rickman was just listing off all of um, Mr. whatever his name is, uh, the CEO guy, all his. You hear that? Motherfuckers. Doing building work when I'm trying to podcast. God damn it. They literally, that house next door has been under construction for like eight months. And they do it six days a week, ten hours a day. And yeah, I I get it. You've got to get your shit done. But fuck, dude. And they start at like half seven in the morning. So even when you're trying to relax on a weekend morning, you can't. First world problems, I know. But shut the fuck up while I'm podcasting. Jesus. Anyway, Alan Rickman was listing off all of Mr. Takagi's accomplishments, law degrees. It's not a very good Alan Rickman impression, I'm sorry. And all the rest of it. So he knew all this information about it. He knew this vast amount of information about him. But he didn't know what he looked like. I find that odd. Also, Alan Rickman's just completely stoic, unemotional, monotone performance makes his character very scary. You know, because when you have a villain like the Joker where you want him to be, like, bombastic and expressive and stuff, that's that's great in and of itself, but that's that's what you want from that type of villain. But when you're dealing with something that's, you know, maybe not comic book and is just, you know, this type of villain... Uh, it's it's scarier and more intense when they are just these sort of like uncompromising, unemotive sort of psychos that you can't you can't reason with them. You know, you can't reason with it. Is that from the Terminator? Yeah, I think it is. Carl Reese. Another great eighties action movie. Obviously, if you didn't know. Yeah, if you didn't know, by the way, Terminator 1 and 2 are great. Also, Terminator Dark Fate, the latest one, with the, you know, the older Sarah Connor. That was awesome. That was the best Terminator sequel since Judgment Day. And I'll stand by that. That is a wonderfully threatening line. And he said, that's a very nice, that's a very nice suit, Mr. Takaki. Be ashamed to ruin it. It's not a very good Alan Rick impression, I'm sorry, but... Yeah, because he's not saying, like, give me the code or I'll kill you, which I think he might do in a bit, but there's just ominously saying, like, I will kill you, by the way, but I like your suit. I did it. It's just ominous and cool. And that as well. I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. Just let, letting him know that time is pressing and you're going to die if you don't cooperate. Okay. That as well. Cutting, so he shoots almost as simultaneously with hearing the bang, it cuts to a blood splatter on the glass, which is just a really cool practical effect. Yeah, it's violent as hell, but it's just a really cool practical effect. And there was a little sort of um, a crash zoom in on, not from great distance, but we call it, so a crash zoom is kind of like, if you know what a zoom is, Crash zoom is just quicker. <laughs> there you go. Cruise, uh, cra- cruise, a cruise zoom in on Bruce. A crash zoom in on Bruce for his shock of seeing, you know, brains hit a window. 
in this shot here of Argyle, I love that. Like Bruce, Bruce's like last, um, well, one of his last hopes is just like, oh, please hope Argyle heard the shots and he's calling the police. And then we cut to Argyle, blast the music on the phone, chatting to women. But um, really, really simple shot. But the, these lights here on the on the rear view window, the rear window, whatever, um, they're sort of like pulsing. And I guarantee you there's just like someone, or they, they've set up some kind of like, uh, you know, uh, some sort of light or whatever. And there's just someone who's just like putting it up and turning it off and putting it up and turning it like on a sort of slide dial. I bet that's how they do this look. See it flashing? I bet it's just someone like sliding it on and off up. Did you hear that piece of score then? It, I've only just picked up on it. It's um that Christmas is it a Christmas song? What well, I don't know, don't think it is actually, but is that Beethoven? Whatever it is. But they've done it in like a really somber minor key, so it's like as you know, Alan Rickman looks menacing. It's called Ode to Joy, except they've made it like Ode to Pain. One of my favorite things that um, John McClane does in this is just like talk to himself a lot because, you know, he is isolated and alone through a lot of this film. So he's just like stormed into this room going, why the fuck didn't you stop them, John? As in like save uh, Mr. Words, save the geezer, right? Who got his head blown off. Um, And then he goes... Because then you'd be dead too, asshole. <laughs> like, he's just like having this back and forth argument with himself. <laughs> I love it. He's such a well-written character. Who doesn't love John McClane? Come on. Has there ever been a more German-looking person? <laughs> I love his delivery of that line. Now I have a machine gun. Her. 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 Introducing one of the best characters in the film. I can't remember his character name, but this police officer, one of the best. He's buying a shitload of Twinkies, because why not, eh? So we have basically in, in this thing, we've got like a, a it's a, it's kind of a one but it's not on like a steady cam or anything. Um, and it's just sort of following the action. So it pans from two guys shooting McLean. Let's just, let's find it, shall we? Yeah, so we start here with these two guys. They're shooting at John McClane. We pan around and see John McClane. And then we pan around and see Carl, the guy whose brother he killed first. So pan around. So they're distracting him. And then as we pan around to see this, we're like, uh-oh, he's about to get, you know, what a shot. What a shot! That's such a good shot! <laughs> but um, yeah, it just sort of makes you think like, uh-oh, he's about to be flanked, outmaneuvered. It just, it's tense. There's a clever bit of um, set decoration to help the audience keep up with the, like, the geography of, of where they are. So earlier he runs past this like maintenance shaft bit and there's like a cutout of like a dirty magazine. You know, it's like a topless woman or whatever. Um, and A, that is so commonplace with, like, any sort of male-dominant environment where it's, like, um, you know, maintenance or labor or engineering or something like that. Like, I've worked in, in those kind of 
environments and there's always dirty magazines lying around and all that um so straight away you're like okay yeah this is a maintenance shaft or whatever um especially in the 80s it very likely would be just sort of guys that that work there uh, but he goes past it makes a point of like just glancing at it briefly uh, and th- as he's gone off and been chased around by these guys shooting him he's he's gone through all these like tunnels and ladders and bits and bobs and now he's ended up in the same place and he's like oh yeah so it's just a way for, to sort of keep the audience like oh, okay i get where he is now instead of just all these like generic same samey looking kind of corridors and and you know the 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 service areas and the back areas and the engineering areas of of the hotel hotel skyscraper whatever it is who cares that scene is so tense where he's like put his gun wedged in this you know service hatchway and he's basically extended the strap on it and is like lowering himself down and we keep seeing shots of the strap like filing out of the thing he's looped it around like it's gonna give and at the same time you've got the terrorists looking for him and you've got his like sweaty face and his panicked breathing and stuff so tense and now get ready for one of the most iconic shots in cinema history john mcclane in event flicking a zippo on boom there you go iconic cinema right there i guarantee you it's not the light of the zippo that's illuminating him there will be like a lighting gel or or whatever uh behind him uh behind the camera um but yeah look at that iconic cinema right there one of the most iconic lines in cinema history yippee motherfucker was that even a cowboy like reference because they're comparing him to a cowboy you know john wayne and his way around the building and everything is that is yippee even a cowboy expression if it was it ain't anymore it's a diehard expression merry fucking christmas and that is also brilliant writing the fact that she is still using her maiden name it not only adds you know the friction between her and john mcclain and their you know <clears throat> rocky relationship potential separation yada 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 but um it's harder for alan rickman and his gang to tie a connection between her and mclean because she's not using the same name i'm pretty sure this dude is the guy who tortures mel gibson in lethal weapon <laughs> i think it is i recognize his facial hair and his his long sort of partially receded hair yeah i'm pretty sure it's the same dude they're going through the motions now where the uh, police aren't listening to the advice of John McClane or Powell, the um, the cop he's been talking to, the, the first responder to the scene. And, you know, you have all the, like, um, the military sort of, like, snare drumming. And, like, you know, the trumpets, like, bum, 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 all that sort of, like, uh, not quite action score, but it's, like, building the seriousness and the suspense of... <clears throat> an action sequence there's a lot of like steady cam shots following groups of um uh police and things <coughs> uh there's a lot of shots of people running all these like lights and silhouettes and that just littering this uh this sequence with them um, all these like sort of action tropes where they may not have been tropes back then but they certainly are now uh, but it's that doesn't mean it's bad it's very good one of the best things about movies in the 80s and that is the 
the fact that the technology for CGI and all that stuff wasn't quite as good. So it was actually, it looks, well, it looks better anyway to use practical effects, but it looked way better compared to the technology available back then. Like the technology these days is, is pretty good and it can oftentimes look, you know, legit, but practical effects will always prevail. Look at Mad Max. Come on. As in the new one. Well, all of them, they're all pretty practical. Uh, but yeah, all these explosions and stuff, they're all like practical effects. Um, it's just good shit. It just makes cinema so much cooler, I think, you know? Like, not hating on CGI and computer uh, graphics and all that too much, but it's just, it doesn't hit quite the same, you know? <laughs> the dialogue is so good. Like, Bruce Willis just fucking ripping the back out of um, the other deputy chief, whatever he was, police officer, just fucking setting him straight. So good. So many amazing one-liners and zingers, as they say. Look at this shot here on um, John McClane. So this is the part where that Ellis douchebag, the wise guy kind of thing, is um, trying to convince... He's told Hans who John is. And he's trying to convince John to <clears throat> give him the detonators and all that. And their scene is lit quite nicely and brightly. And then the scene, because John now knows that, like, that Ellis dude is going to get himself killed. And he can't help him. And he shouldn't have told him who he is. And he shouldn't have got himself involved. He should have just shut up and stayed quiet, all of that. So he's in a dark headspace right now. And this shot is reflective of that, you know? He's got the left side of his body and face illuminated, but it's not doing tons for him because he's can, he's turned away a bit from the camera. Uh, and, you know, the right side of his body is completely shadowed. It's creating some awesome, like, sort of lines with the, you know, the wrinkles and... Well, not wrinkles, like creases on his face and everything. It's just a really, really nice shot. You know, mirrors the peril. Attention, police. Attention, police. This is Alan Rickman. Hans Gruber. Another iconic role. Want to stay alive? You stay with me. I think, actually, I think... Iconic role? Iconic line. I think that line's iconic to me, actually. I don't think it's... I don't think it's well known. You know, like how yippee is, like, you know, one of the, the taglines for this film. <clears throat> um... But I, I think that line sticks with me because did anybody play the amazing PS1 trilogy of all the diehards? Slight tangent, right? So the third game was you're literally just driving around because it was all three first diehard movies in one PS1 game. The third one, you're driving around looking for bombs. The second one was like a Time Crisis style shooter through the airport. But the first one was the best one because you were literally like, uh, you know, a, what do they call it? It's not first person when it's like third person. There you go. View of John McClane running around and you literally make your way up floor by floor from the garage, floor by floor, just killing terrorists and stuff and saving hostages. And it was an incredible game and I would love a remaster of it. But the the whole uh, game was littered with John McClane taglines. So like when, because you start with like a pistol or something and you pick up guns as you go. So like when you pick up a... Um, machine gun or something he'll literally go ho 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 i got a machine gun and when you save a hostage he goes you want to stay alive you stay with me so like yeah some of the tags are just like stuck in my head because of that game um 
anyway, I love that this becomes part of the narrative where John McClane sort of catches Hans Gruber in, well, almost in the act, but fortunately he sort of stashed his, fortunately for him anyway, he stashed his gun and things and just puts on a phony American accent and goes, ah, you're one of the terrorists, don't hurt me. And John McClane's like, I'm not going to hurt you, I'm going to help you. And he's just, is completely blindsided by him and thinks that he is one of the hostages. Um, but I love that they actually have a few moments in the in the film where they um, just sort of get to talk face-to-face as opposed to over the walkie-talkie. And that it's, it's a really nice little narrative twist. And then it adds some suspense because the whole time, as an audience member, you're going, that's a terrorist, that's a terrorist, that's the lead terrorist. You know, it's just a nice uh, addition. And then very cleverly, he has a look down and sees that John McClane isn't wearing any shoes, which becomes important later. And that is super clever as well. Um, the fact that Hans somehow, somewhere, found one of the names on that list of employees behind him and then John McClane is using that to reference he is who he says he is and all that. It's very, like, you're like, oh, shit. He's, like, digging his claws in deeper in terms of his, like, phony cover at this moment. Oh, this scene is so good. It only it's really only just sort of dawning. Because I, I honestly haven't watched this film for like yonks, but this was the sort of scene that was lost on me as a child. But now I'm like, this is such a good tense scene. You know, it's very it's cat and mouse, despite the fact that they're right there with each other. It's using a lot of close-ups. Look at this sort of slightly Dutch angle, which if you remember, I've said in different pods. If you've heard it, it's slightly um, off kilter. Uh, just. <laughs> that was such a good stun. The guy face plants into glass. It's probably like sugar glass or something, but just gets his kneecaps blown out, shot to shit by McLean, and then just stumbles and face plants through glass. Man, stunt teams. Stunt teams. You gotta love them, man. You gotta love them. They, they're the backbone of like, not just action cinema. Because, you know, a stunt stunt could be in like it could be in a sitcom where someone like slips over you know any sort of like pratfall or something um pratfall was just like a sort of silly um like slipping over as you're walking down a corridor or something and like zach braff in scrubs is phenomenal at pratfalls you know he goes like and will fall back or something that's that's a good example of pratfalling um yeah, man, stunt stunt teams. Fucking bravo, guys, bravo. And women, and everything in between. Or every stunt team. This is what I said earlier, but it's important that uh, Hans noticed he's not wearing any shoes because then they shoot all the glass and his feet get cut to shit. And I have to tell this story now. <coughs> um, we threw a Halloween party uh, at my parents' house in my hometown once, and like my childhood best friend, his dad... For years, I've called him Bruce Willis because he's, you know, a stocky guy, not stocky like Fowler, like he's, and he's bold, like he literally looks the spit of of Bruce Willis. Um, and he came; it was a fancy dress party, and he came to the party dressed as Bruce Willis from Die Hard, and you know he had the vest with the blood on it, and he, his costume was to the point where he, for most of the night, he wasn't wearing any shoes, and he wrapped his feet in like bloody bandages he was like that dedicated to 
to the costume and it was like 10 out of 10 because everybody straight away was like, oh, John McClane. <laughs> so good. Just quickly in the framing of this shot, actually. Uh, he sat on a... Um, like a sink worktop. Yeah, why not? Taking the glass out of his feet, running his feet under the tap, all that. Uh, but just simply having the camera lower down, looking angled up, looking at him, um, just helps the audience realise that he is sat on the counter. And then, you know, the running of the tap and everything, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he sat on the kitchen sink. Um, yeah, that, that's all I wanted to say. Just like simple framing, just like, you know, instead of having to constantly establish where you are, you can just use a few tricks and setups and shots like that to um, to establish it for the audience. It's just, just really shit hot filmmaking. Simple shit done well. So that Ode to Joy, da, 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 that came back a minute ago and it's like somber monotone score. And now that they finally got the vault open, it's back in its original form, which is a lot more... Joyous, just really, really good use of score. <coughs> and all the all these shots of like, you know, zooming in on people and seeing all their reactions to it. Cool moment. Great performance there from Bruce Willis. Um, using the walkie-talkie to speak to Powell to basically get him to relay a message to his wife that he should have been a better husband, etc, etc. But he gets like a single tear... Streaking down his cheek, he gets the like, um, the emotion and the croakiness in his voice. You know, like when someone cries, and then the voice starts to go. Like he's getting all that in there. You can see the tears welling up in his eyes. It, Bruce Willis is such an underrated actor. Like he's so much more than just an action star. He's a fucking great actor. God damn, yippee kaye. A good old fashioned punch up. Give me the old one, two, buckle my shoe. Again, great writing. Like, you know, the intro, the the inclusion, sorry, of the news team and they're pestering and they're figuring stuff out and things. They have no idea what they're figuring out in terms of finding out who John McClane is and all of that. Um, but they did it. And they have no idea what the repercussions of that are. They're just focused on the news story. Uh, but the repercussions are, because they're all watching the news, they see him interviewing John McClane's children and then he puts the dots together and then realises Holly Gennaro is actually Holly McClane. And now he has a bargaining tool over John McClane. So just brilliant writing because like there, there was points even on this rewatch where I was like, why do we care about this news team? Like what is the importance? And it ends up being like a massive linchpin. Just really well written script. Such a solid script. Oh, I fucking love Alan Rickman, man. Oh, he just went for a karate chop. He just went for a karate chop. Let's rewind, shall we? This fight was really good up till then. Yeah, look, 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 look. Okay, he just kicks John into the stairs. And his follow- <laughs> His follow-up move is to come in swinging with a karate chop. Look at this. Hey <laughs> That's the like <laughs> That's the only shit thing I've seen in this entire movie. Yeah. 
One of the things I love about this film is the whole second half of it, or maybe even more than that, is it's just fucking relentless. Like, there's a few moments where John McClane gets a quiet moment to himself and, you know, has a little radio call with uh, Powell and all that. But, like, it's fucking relentless, man. Like, he just had to beat him up with the long blonde hair guy. Then he had to run up to the roof, shoot a terrorist on the way. Tell everybody that it's about to blow to get the hell downstairs. They don't believe him. He starts spraying shots in the air to scare everybody back downstairs. It's for their own good. And then the FBI think he's a terrorist, so they start shooting at him. They're shooting at him now. And then, like, his way to get out of that is to pull out fucking fire hose, and he's going to use that to, like, abseil down the side of the building. It's just, it's just things happen, 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 happen. It's such a good film. And then, bam! You see that for a fucking action shot. Uh, and see, it still doesn't stop. He's still go potentially gonna die. That's one of the best things this this film does. But, but just to sort of further my point a minute ago about like stuff just happening, 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 is it's always upping the stakes of making it worse. Oh, what was the the pod I was doing? Uh, oh, it was the one on Star Wars Andor, which is amazing, by the way. Um, about when they go into the prison, and it's like, yeah, so you're in prison. But then the prison's really bad because of X. And then it's actually worse than you thought because of Y. And then it's actually worse than that because of Z. And it goes on and on and on and making it worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And this film does that. It's like every time you think John McClane is like getting an advantage, there's a setback. And then there's a setback. And then there's a setback. Like when he's being chased. You know that the scene I was analyzed really early on where the two guys were shooting him from one way. We panned around, see John. Then we pan around again and see... Carl up on the roof uh, and he's gonna get um ambushed in that and then like they go from chasing him through all these places and then he's like he ends up in an elevator shaft and then he has to go from there into like a vent and then they they're shooting at the vent and like it's just one thing after another there's no like easy outs he always has to just like fight blood sweat and tears and white knuckle just to try and get any sort of salvation or safety it's just yeah, it's it's really good shit. <laughs> a classic awkward hero and villain laugh at each other. Probably so awkward to film from an acting perspective. Iconic shot. Iconic shot. The iconic shot of Hans or Alan Rickman falling away in slow-mo. Look at the terror on his face. Iconic shot. Nine Splat. Like dropping a fucking egg. Except I don't do that because I'm vegan. He's looking more longingly and lovingly at Paul than he was his wife. Kiss. Do it. She's like, who is this dude? Is weather. There we have it, folks. Die Hard. The best Christmas movie. Yep. That's it. I'm sorry this episode was really late. Like I said, busy things, busy life, all of that. But I got it to you this week anyway. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed it. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that. And have a good Christmas and a good New Year.